Um, and so I, I just read all these blogs about people that had gotten into raw food and they just lost all this weight immediately and all these amazing things were happening to them. So I was like, let me just give it a try. That was Selinya Ramanan. Selinya is one of the most amazing people on the planet. Uh, she is a three-time graduate of MIT in physics and engineering, and she left the world of engineering to become a raw food chef and is now helping people develop wellness from the inside out. We talk about her choice to pursue her passion of food. We talk about her time she spent at Sakuru's ashram in India. And we talk a lot about getting healthier and the choices that you have to make when you're ready to become the healthiest version of you. So without any further ado, let's get to becoming legendary with Selenia. Selinia, thank you so much for coming on Becoming Legendary. It's so nice to see you. Thank you so much for coming, <laughs> Patrick. Ah, okay, so starts out the same way every time. What does a typical day in your life look like? In the mornings, I the first thing I like to do is juice. Right? A lot of people... Um, you know, don't really find time for it for me. It's it's just a priority. So I like to juice. I like to then go work out, you know, and then come back and then shower and then get my day started. So that, um, that for me is like my, my rock, my staple. Um, and then, you know, so I, I have my business, so it's typically working on different things, whether it's coaching people or whether it's, you know, doing promotions or preparing for classes or whatever it is. So, and then, you know, over the course of the day, I'll do whatever I have to do. And then I like to make myself just a really beautiful big salad at night. Um, just, I, I like raw food because it's just full of life. And for me, I just always feel best when I'm just full with that vitality. Yeah. Okay. So, I want to clarify a couple things because you mentioned two two instances of eating. Are you eating more than the two times? Um, sometimes, yeah. I mean, I I really like to put space between as much as possible. Um, sometimes I'll graze a little bit, but I I do. I do like to kind of keep it contained. Like I'm I'm very much interested in fasting. You know, both periodic and intermittent fasting. Yeah. Okay. Um, hmm. Where do I want to go with this? So. Eating raw food. Yeah. How how closely associated with the pranic energy of food was your discovery of raw food? Like, did, did it come from, did your discovery of raw food, your um, discovery is probably the wrong word. Raw food's been around since food existed. Your, yeah. <laughs> your, your transition towards more raw food, your embracing yeah. of raw food. Did that yeah. come from an Ayurvedic perspective? Where where did that come from for your life? So it was it's an interesting thing. So actually, um, I discovered the prana kind of as a happy surprise after getting into it. Um, 
for many years I'd struggled with really, really terrible skin and I was also very overweight. So, um, I had just read online. I was just trying to find something that worked for me. Um, and so I, I just read all these blogs about people that had gotten into raw food and they just lost all this weight immediately and all these amazing things were happening to them. So I was like, let me just give it a try. And it was January 1st of that year. And I, you know, I went completely raw for a whole month and, you know, I'd struggled with acne for 12 years and, um, I tried every medication and everything, nothing had worked. And, you know, my skin started to clear up after changing my diet into raw. And, um, you know, so you mentioned the prana and that was one thing that like nobody had really ever told me that what you eat really affects how you feel. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I was just witnessing firsthand, you know, as a happy surprise that, um, if I was eating these foods fresh and raw and the closer they were to, to the earth that I just felt so much more alive. And you can just like, you actually feel like other senses turn on, you know, they talk about a sixth sense and it, it really gets activated when you do that, which is cool. Okay. So let me, let me circle back to your, your roots. Hmm. You are an, you are a three-time graduate of MIT with degrees in physics and engineering. Yes. <laughs> so I, I mostly want to know what it's like to be an engineer all day, right? Because we should talk about what you're doing. Yeah. So I, so I, I, that was kind of where I came from. And <laughs> when, I, when, I finished, when I finished MIT, I was, I was actually working at Intel and, you know, the way that they have it set up is that you work 12 hours. It was more like 14 for half the week. And then you get half the week off. So it was either four days or three days. Um, and you know, engineering firms do, do it differently. Maybe it's just a nine to five type thing for me. It was that, you know, half day thing. So it was very tough for me to maintain balance, uh, doing that, that kind of lifestyle because it was like, yeah, even though I had this half a week off, like it was just, I mean, it really just took a lot out of you. And I think that the corporate environment just wasn't set up in such a way that I felt like I was being nourished. Um, With that being said, I mean, with engineering, it's like, I think engineering is such a broad thing. Like for me, um, you know, there's, uh, you're familiar with, with the Isha Foundation and everything that they do, but engineering the self and engineering your consciousness, that's fascinating to me, right? It's, um, I started out as an electrical engineer. I worked in nanotechnology and, um, but everything that you learn is just so applicable. Like you see patterns in everything. Mm. And, um, that's kind of how I live my life. Like I apply all of that stuff to everything that I do. Yeah. So, so you've, you've left, you've left the engineering world, at least for the time being. Yeah. Which is rad. I got to <laughs> say, true. it's a rad thing. Thank and you. you're currently, would you describe yourself as a raw chef? How would you describe yourself right now? Uh, health coach and raw chef. I would say health coach is primarily the thing that I do. I work with people on their skin health yeah. um, because your skin is really your body's last priority, right? So everything else kind of has to get fixed before you have like really good skin. So that's primarily what I do. But I, I studied raw, raw culinary arts and raw nutrition because it was such a great way to supplement what I was teaching people. Yeah. Um, I wanted to teach people. Um, and I also just thought, I think that there's it's really important to have mastery of whatever you do. That was something that I really learned at MIT was just to really be very strict about like science. Right. And so that's something that I really, really try to, to do as far as like, you know, studies and, and just making sure that what I'm telling people is accurate, Mm. you know, 
about confusion and in, in, in nutrition. So yeah, so it's the nutrition first. And then, you know, I just I love the creative aspect of food. And I love just the experience of it. <laughs> yeah, food is is such a an interesting part of our culture of our of our experience, right? In that it's probably the most powerful drug that we interact with. Yeah, it for sure has the most impact on our health. Mm-hmm. Most of it's garbage. Most of that's not true. Most of what humans are consuming is garbage. Most food is actually amazing. We're just not consuming a lot of real food. Yeah, exactly. Your personal experience um, towards towards seeing it, seeing and feeling the thirty days. Yeah. Do you remember, was there a moment where it just kind of clicked for you? Was there a moment where everything started to make a ton of sense? In terms of what? In terms of like, oh, this is what I should have been doing all along? No, no, not necessarily. So, you know, right, when when you're working with people um, who are trying to better their health. Yeah. There's a lot of resistance around that, the idea that that's going to come from food. Oh, yeah. So... So what I'm trying to what I'm trying to kind of pull out is what was the thing that clicked for you when you were like, oh, yeah, food, food's the thing, right? I have to fix the food because I had tried everything else, you know, like for me, (laughs) (laughs) that's the thing, though, right? Food's the last thing we try. It's the last thing you try. And, And I think it's the thing is that people get so intimidated and you're also I don't, I don't think that people are conscious of it necessarily. So let's take skin, for example, right? So people can have eczema, they can have acne, they can have dandruff, they can have wrinkles, right? So all of these things, you get just sold creams, you get sold, you know, all kinds of like different supplements and all these things um, to try to fix those things, right? But because of the fact that your attention is being drawn to all these different products that you're being sold, you never actually think about you know, what's causing these problems to, to begin with. Most people don't. And it's just a, a product of the fact, I think that their attention is not being drawn to that. Yeah. Right. We're kind of taught how to eat sort of unconsciously as kids. And we just continue that most people, you know, just continue that throughout their whole lives. And, um, it's sort of like you're a fish in water and you don't notice the water until, yeah. you know, someone tells you about it. Right. Yeah. So for me, it was like, my health was just so bad at a certain point that, I had to look for answers and with the raw food thing, it, for me, that worked instantly. Right. So it was like, yes, this is it, you know? Um, and I knew, like, I knew inherently that food was going to be a part of it. I didn't think that, like, I thought that I was kind of genetically, um, predisposed to certain things. I thought I was going to have like really bad skin for the rest of my life just because that was my genetics. And, um, And so I didn't really think that food was going to have that profound of an impact. And so it was shocking to actually try it. I just tried it because it was something that I could do. And I I figured, why not? I had nothing to lose. And it, it changed. It just rocked my world. It was really cool. Yeah. Okay. Man, there's so many things in that. So again, I think again, when we're, when we're working, when we're having the opportunity to work with um, significant portions of the population, one, one, one of the, most repeated limiting factors that I'm presented with, and maybe you're presented with, is yeah. this idea that, oh no, it has to be this way because my family has a history. Mm, yeah. And when you talk to, you can go back through the podcast, and when we talk to really high level doctors yeah. who are forward thinking, 100% of them are saying there, there are genetic risk factors to pretty much everything. 
Yeah. But there is no predetermined. There are very few things that are predetermined um, in our genetic coding, right? Ep- the, there are epigenetic factors that we can we can activate and deactivate gene yeah. expression all the time. Of course. And food is the like key to activating and deactivating gene expression. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're talking to people about that idea, and, and this is this is just straight up selfish on my part because I, I want to get your insight and how yeah. how you're how you're getting to the root and how you're overcoming those obstacles when someone is when you're presenting them with, hey, you know, this is a factor that you're dealing with. If we make this change and we make this change, it's going to help alleviate or decrease the amount of risk exposure that you have to condition a what do you do what do you do what's the tool you use to get get people to that place to get people on board with it to get people on board with let's go yeah let's just go on board and i'll dig in from there so i think that you know when someone initially brings that to me that they're you know they say to me well this runs in my family um the one thing, the first thing that I like to suggest to them, as I say, well, you know, first I tell them my story, right? So I give them this idea that like, wait, I was kind of in your position too, or something similar. Yeah. And so I thought like, I thought the same thing, but it's actually not my genetics. It actually wasn't my genetics and I can fix it. Right. So that kind of inspires something like, oh wait, maybe there is some, some uh, freedom here to fix it. And, and then I tell them, you know, it's not just genetics that run in the family habits run in the family too. For sure. For sure. And, and that, that one line, I think it's, it's helped a lot of people because I've seen just people's eyes open up and, yeah. and they just stop for a second and they, think about it and they're like wow that's actually really true um and then i think the third thing that i do is give them a small win so i'll tell them like just for the next week Mm. drink half a gallon of water every day something very simple that's doable um that's going to give them i know like a huge win even though it's not that big of a um a change for them to make in their lives and then they'll come back to me the next week and just be like you know, I, I haven't been eating as much. I have so much more energy. Um, yeah, I mean, I had to go to the bathroom a lot, but I just feel better. And yeah. I can't describe it to you. My digestion is better. And so then once they've had that little win, they're just so motivated to continue. Yeah. You know? Yeah, man. I love that little win idea. That little win idea is so, so important. Yeah. Um, on the habits front, one of the things that I've noticed is we also – when we're, when we're, when we're little and we're learning how to move, mm-hmm. we learn how to move from the people around us. Yeah. Right. So, so many of the genetic predispositions to injuries or hip dysfunction, hip dysfunction is like the biggest one all come from how we've learned how to stand with a, with basically our hip and in the inappropriate position. And you watch somebody and they stand like that for 12 hours a day. And then they wonder why they're having to have a hip replaced. Well, and why? And it's like, well, yeah, my mom also had the hip. Go watch your mom stand. Your mom's going to stand the exact same way. It's all of these patterns. And we don't even think about the fact that we literally learned everything from the people we grew up around. That is such a good point. And I remember one of the yoga classes that I took with you, you were saying that, you know, I could spend an hour teaching you how to do Tadasana. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite that. thing ever. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, it's so true. You know, one day I want to do that actually. You should, yes. Yes. Everyone should do that. I mean, it's, uh, if you can't stand, what can we do? Nothing. 
<laughs> and and that kind of goes okay so i i like that it it takes you back to what you said before which if you want to be able to do something right you really need yeah and when you're talking you speak a language of best life yeah right? you talk a lot about how how you're creating best life yeah where where do you what's the foundation that you most like to start with for for expressing best life for someone for me it's been food because i know that i am so sensitive to everything i put in my mouth yeah um it has to be that because i think that for me personally yeah um even just a little bit of sway here and there will like shift how how i feel how i think and so you know i think that there's there's many factors involved in that um you know so when i notice that i'm kind of falling off track like that's usually the first thing that I'll try to fix because I know that that'll have a really high mileage effect on, on how I feel. So it really starts with that, I think. And then the second thing I would say is also what you're exposing yourself to, right? Mm. Because if you're watching any new mainstream news channel, whether it's CNN or Fox News or anything, I mean, they're basically just taking like the most potently upsetting things that are going on in the world and uh, distilling it and then sending it straight to your phone or your, your email, whatever it is. Yeah. And when you're ingesting that all day, every day, I mean, that's going to put you in a state of fight or flight yeah. all the time. But you're not going to be happy. That we have the potential to be exuberant and we have the potential to just really enjoy our lives so much. And so being intentional about the information that you consume. So um, are you watching personal development videos, you know, mm -hmm. podcasts like this? You know, one thing that I really like is um, Impact Theory. I think that's a great podcast. So I, I'll listen to that on, you know, when I'm driving or whatever. Um, so, yeah, just being very intentional about the information I consume and what I put in my mouth. Those two things will, it's like 90% of it. <laughs> I I think that is such, such an amazing point. I think if, if we were going to create a recipe for disaster, a recipe for unhappiness, right? A, a recipe for emotional disaster, it would literally be being placed in a position where you hear about horrible things happening all the time and you yeah. have no ability to respond and do anything. And you have no, and most people have no intention of responding and doing something, right? So if we were to sit down and you and I were like, hey, there's a puppy outside and it has, a, it has its leg is amputated and it's bleeding. Like you and I would be like, okay, let's go outside and let's, we'll get that puppy. We'll take it to the vet. We'll do something. And we'd feel relatively good about that. If every yeah. day someone came in and they're like, hey, there's a dying puppy outside, it would be a, it'd be a, and we just said, oh, well, there's a dying puppy outside. It would make, there's an emotional toll. There's a taxation, an emotional taxation on knowing that that's happening every day. And 100%. people all over our planet are taking that emotional toll without really realizing it. Yeah. And, and I guess I would say, first off, if you're going to watch the news, fine. Make sure that you act. Make sure that you act on something from that from that experience. There's no I reason agree. to take in that much negativity without acting. I agree. I agree. And we could use more people acting, quite honestly. I, I completely agree with you. You've said several things here. So my first thought on that is that, um, so I kind of have this tendency that, you know, so I'm an INFP personality type. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with Myers-Briggs, but we're idealists and we like to kind of save the world. And so it's like when I am confronted with too many problems at the same time, I know that it's paralyzing. Yeah. So I just like to pick, you know, a few things that I know that I can actually work on. And when I feel like I'm making progress in making the world better in those areas, then I will feel good about myself, yeah. you know? Yeah, uh, for sure. For and sure. I think. 
another the second point that I thought of is that some sometimes I've heard people defend watching news as well these people are going through so much in this part of the world like so we have a moral responsibility to partake in that but if you actually think about it that doesn't make sense because me watching the news only <laughs> multiplies that suffering and two if I'm not doing anything about it then that doesn't benefit them either for sure um you know, a hundred percent about what you said, you know, just take action. If that's, if that's your purpose, right. Take action on those things, but also be very selective about what you're taking action on. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think it's always best to think about like, where are my talents and, um, my capabilities best used in, in benefiting humanity. Mm. Okay. So let's go to the Isha foundation, because I think this is one. I just want to know about your experience. Again, this is 100% selfish, but um, your experience at the Isha Foundation. Let's start there. What What was that like? And then I want to circle back. I want to circle back to to Sakuru's idea of responsibility, and I want to chat through that with you. But tell me about your experience at the Isha Foundation. And you were in India, right? I was in India, so I went to India last year for a good friend's wedding, um, and I knew that you know when I went there, I wanted to go to Coimbatore, which is where his his center is, and so it was like a six hour drive. Um, you know, part the last part of it was kind of through the jungle, like it, it's not it's not you know in a city, right? It's kind of removed yeah. from everyone else, so you're kind of in this ATV type thing or just like a, uh, a rugged vehicle and you're, you're getting there and it's a very kind of narrow, I don't know how they do big events because the road to get there is actually, <laughs> really um, so I got there at night and, um, I just remember like at the, at the entrance, they have this huge, um, statue of the meditating Shiva and it's 112 feet tall. So it's the largest bust in the whole world. And it's just the open night sky and you see this magnificent figure and like, that's the first thing that hits you. So it was just so striking. And then yeah. you go in and, um, everyone there's kind of, they're austere and they follow like a certain type of practice. Right. So a lot of people are there because they're, you know, on a certain path. And so they follow very strict rules. Um, and I remember when I got there, you know, a lot of people, they just like, they wouldn't smile, you know, <laughs> which was interesting. Cause I was just really excited. <laughs> <laughs> they found me a room and um it was really great I mean they have really nice accommodations for everybody and um I just I remember just sleeping that night and and there's something about the energy of that place that just gives you really good dreams yeah. and I remember just feeling like it was almost like an out-of-body experience the first night that I slept there I, I stayed there two nights and I just felt like I just felt there's certain fears sometimes that I'll have, like when I'm driving or whatever, um, of, oh, this could happen. And I just felt like in the, in that moment when I was, when I was asleep, I just felt like, so what, like, who cares if anything happens? Like, this is all just a dream. Like it just, mm. it, it just kind of transcended fear. It transcended like all of the, the things that we worry about on, on a day-to-day -day basis, like in the, in the physical realm. And so, so the next day when I woke up, I just felt so refreshed and, uh, he wasn't actually there at the time that I went, Sadhguru. Um, but I, there's, there's a pretty big ground. And so you can go to, um, they have like, a shrine for like feminine energy. And then they have, um, I don't know, they just have other, other things that you can go see and partake in. Um, and so it was kind of just an adventure for me and I, I would just go to different spots or under a tree and just meditate. And it was just a great experience being there. Um, I didn't really want to leave, but I had to, uh, <laughs> but it's just, it's just, I mean, you have to go. You, you definitely have to go. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. I, yeah, I, it is, it is a thing that I just, it has to happen for me. Oh yeah. Um, so, so I, I struggled with this idea of Sakura's idea of responsibility, right? Do you know, do you know what he talks about responsibility? Are you talking about the thing where he says that you have to like, I'm like anything that happens in the world, I'm responsible. Yeah. Anything that's ever happened and will ever happen, you are responsible for it. I think it's a mental model. You know, I think that if it's useful for you. So actually, I've heard that from him and I've also heard that from somewhere else. I know that, you know, the impact theory community, like that's something that they they espoused. And so I I struggle with that as well. Um, I, for me, I don't know that that's a useful model because then I'll just feel like, well, if I was responsible for, you know, for everything, then why are there, why is there so much suffering in the world? Like I, like my brain is not, I can't (laughs) get my head around that, you know? So I, I, I kind of pick and choose what's useful for, for my evolution and to make me better. But, you know, for something like that, since I can't wrap my head around it and maybe at some point in the future, I will. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, that's kind of just on the shelf for now. <laughs> Have you gone through the inner engineering program? I did. I went through the, uh, online program. So okay. there's one week program. Yeah. I know they have several others and they have like the rest of the ones that the higher courses are all in person. And I yeah. definitely want to go, um, this year if I can go. Yeah. Go. That's all I can say. So, um, I, I want to share I want to share the this with you because I think I think this could have a huge impact for you. Okay. So I went to inner engineering without having a real awareness of who Sakuru was. Um, I did the I did the online course that you did, and I was frustrated with it. Right? They lock you in and they make you watch that huge long introduction for every single video. And you yeah. can't fast forward and you can't rewind. And I was just so frustrated. I was like, they are making this intentionally difficult. There's no reason for them to do this. Exactly. So I got there and I had no expect. I literally had no expectations. I was like, yeah, I'll do this thing. We'll see what happens. And we go through the whole thing. And I think in many ways, my brain works. It sounds like similar to you where you're just kind of searching for those strands of logic. Yeah. Okay. So he goes through the whole weekend. And never once gives any explanation for why we're doing any. So okay. it's just, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. And he, and he's teaching a specific Kriya and it's taught out of order and it's taught broken up and no one's ever tells you why. And you just, all you do that is drives me nuts. Did it, that drive me nuts? It was insane. I, I was like the whole time I was like, he's never going to tell me one thing of why this is, this is insanity, but he won. And this, this is how I know it's brilliant because if he had told me why, there's no reason I would have done, I would have done, followed the direction. I would have just been like, oh yeah, that makes logical sense for me. But okay. because he didn't tell me, I went home and I did everything he asked of me. I did the, I did the 42 minutes a day of meditation for the entire duration of the program. And how, how long? It's 45 days where they want you to start 42 minutes a day for 45 days was the baseline. That was just the introduction. Now, I immediately, the first time I sat down and did the Kriya by myself was transformed. And I, I would, I, there's no way I would have ever done this. So the moment that happened, I became like, I knew he was special. I knew Sakuru was special in a way that has, I've never experienced before. 
and everything he says makes sense to me. And I want to get some insight on a couple of things, more things from you on this. Sure. Um, but everything he says is always like blown me away, made sense. Ex- I know. Except this idea of responsibility, because it's so hard to get beyond that logical component of how can I be responsible for World War II, Sakuru? I wasn't alive. Yeah. And then I have just, you know, the more we live life and the more we experience things and, and the more changes you have in life, the more you just open up to open up to experience. And I started to get it right, because what they're talking about is your ability to respond. And the reality is that I do have the, the ability to respond to the fact that World War Two happened. Right. I can I can change my actions today, knowing that that thing happened. I can change my actions today knowing that climate change is happening and there are people all around the world that aren't doing anything. So even though in a hundred years, Miami might not exist, I can, I can change my actions today knowing that. That's true. And when I let go and I just thought, what do I have the ability to respond to? That idea clicked in. And once that idea clicked in, then I was like, ah, this guy, this guy is so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. I think I think you're making a distinction here, and this is something that, yeah, it, it's important because I think that there's a difference between saying I created World War II versus saying I am responsible mm-hmm. for how I manage myself and manage my uh, my emotions and manage my my behaviors, knowing that World War II happened. I'm responsible for how I respond to things, yes. so that I can 100% get around. I just don't know if he's if he's saying like. I am um, responsible for something that happened in the past. Like that to me gets into string theory and physics and the nature of space and time and all these. Space time. You're like the perfect person to talk about space time and I'm not smart enough to talk about it. How sad (laughs) is that? (laughs) Okay. Let me, I want to ask a couple questions about you really quick before I, before I ask this clarifying. Yeah. Are you, were you born in America? I was. Okay. Colorado, actually, Boulder. So you were born in Boulder. Natural. How rad is that? Yeah. We're Colorado. We're Coloradoans. I, I was think born I in Denver. You telling me that at yeah. one point like when I first met you. Okay, so, so okay. Well, let me first off say I love more than anything when you post in your traditional Indian garments. I love that. It's just so much fun. So Thank you. thanks for doing that because it's just rad. Do you have a do you have a lot of family in India? Um, so I am second generation American, okay. meaning that my parents moved here. I was born here. So right. yes. Um my grandparents are now deceased, so that generation is kind of, you know, dying off. But yeah. um I would say as far as like second cousins, like extended family, I have a ton of family there. And I also the good thing about being a traveler is that I've been able to go back a few times now on my own yeah. and uh actually meet new people that are there. So building new roots with people that they're maybe aren't are not blood family to me, but um, you know, I I'm close to them now. Yeah. Okay, so I feel comfortable enough to ask you this, and I've never I've never asked anyone this before, but I've noticed this thing yeah. where whenever I have a conversation about Sakuru with someone mm-hmm. from India, mm-hmm. there's always an immense amount of apprehension about why I'm asking. Okay. Do you know why? Ooh, that is a good question. Give me a second to think about it. First off, 
I don't consciously feel like I've had that with you, but did you ever feel that from me? No. But you're not from India. No. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So you people people that people are that are from India that come here that you talk to. Yes. So I will say this. I think that a lot of times um in America things about yoga are taken out of mm, context. Fair. Right. So, you know, yoga used to be this very highly specialized practice that was done in India in a very kind of rigorous, structured way. And, you know, now it's like not to say that that doesn't exist. Of course it does. But there's even more of, you know, this Lululemon type culture where people just think it's about stretching and I don't know what else. But um, it's not really all about that at all. And so I think that people get nervous. My, my assessment of this is that people get nervous because they think that, you know, if you're from America and you're not exposed to that culture, that all of a sudden, like, they just assume that you probably don't know what you're talking about. And you're probably coming at it from this really weird, um, distorted angle. And that you might not have, like, you might not understand it, you know, I think that's Um, a safe assumption when someone's talking to me that I don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm gonna come from a weird distorted (laughs) angle. I think that's totally fair assumption. Anyone who's talking to me. So yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I would would say that or possibly um, they might be afraid of judgment. And I think that that's just a universal human thing that they're like, oh, well, if this guy's asking me about Sadhguru, then like, what is he judging me for? Like, what assumptions is he making about me? So Mm. I think that's probably just natural. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that insight so much. That that is a question I have to ask to everyone that I can. I, I just, that is my favorite. Learn, figuring that out I would just, that's the thing now that's my new responsibility <laughs> why is there apprehension around this guy he's amazing yeah <laughs> <sighs> okay um back back to your role in optimizing people's lives yeah stress how much how much of a role is stress playing in the de-optimization of human life you know, I think that that's kind of like, I think, I think of the world as sort of like a series of bowling pins, you know, just in terms of how things happen. And I feel like stress is like the first pin, you know? Okay. okay. Right. And so it's just the, the whole world is set up right now, or, the, you know, the first world is set up in such a way that we're always reacting to things. And we're always like our, our to do lists are so big. And we're conditioned to feel that something's wrong, unless it's overwhelmingly mm-hmm. large. So mm-hmm. You know, I know, you know, just from a a physiological standpoint, stress affects your epigenetics, right? It affects your hormones. It affects your, um, you know, your DNA oxidation. Like it just, it throws off so many things within your body. And so um, even your gut health, right? So I have people that have, you know, IBS, whatever. And stress is such a huge uh, component of that, right? So dealing with stress and stress management is, I think, so key, right? And if that's the first thing that you can deal with, I think that that would be amazing. But I do feel like, you know, there's, there's a a chemical component of like what you're eating and how that affects um, the stress hormones that are produced, right? So as you know, I'm sure like most of your neurotransmitters are made in your gut. So if you eat foods that are um, calming and soothing, and, and Ayurveda talks about what these foods are a lot, um, then you will have like a naturally more even stable mind, right? Yeah. Whereas there's other foods that will, you know, maybe put you in action, but they're, they're going to make you feel agitated, mm. you know? Yeah. Caffeine is like the thing for me. Yeah. <laughs> and, 
And I love it so much. But I know that I know that caffeine takes me closer to the edge, right? Like if and I also know that when I'm stressed, it's the thing I want. It's the thing that my body is like tricking me and saying, dude, you got to find some form of caffeine, preferably coffee. But if it's not coffee, find something else. It has to have caffeine in it. How did that happen? Oh, that's such a great question. I, I mean, I know how it happened. I know how it happened. I started, I started, I started associating comfort with coffee because I wasn't really a coffee, mm-hmm. but, but then I got introduced to really good coffee. And then it oh. was like, the taste of coffee started to be a comforting thing. Yeah. So then I like fell in love with the comfort and it's a like that's a, the thing we do with food, right? We we fall in love with the comfort of specific types of food and they're almost mm-hmm. always the worst possible thing for us in that situation. So of I, course. <laughs> I fell in love. I fell in love with the taste of coffee and then it became like any time that I had anything that was friction, it was like well, let's just get back to that delicious preve of the taste of coffee. Right. But then behind the taste of coffee, there's the chemical components of coffee. Yeah. And there's lots of good chemical components in coffee, but there's also lots of chemical components in coffee that create some problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I know it. I know it. And I appreciate, I appreciate, I think it's actually fun in a lot of ways because Right. Like I talked about I talked about food being a drug and it is. Yeah. It's hard how, how we define drugs. Right. It's not it's not a government banned drug. Probably should be. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that probably should be. <laughs> <laughs> um, that'd probably be a better place to start than some of the other things. OK, but we we have this like we have this opportunity to just go to these things and they become the soft landing for us. And when you're eating a potato chip, there's like we create some some bio we create some some internal endogenous chemical reactions right we we create them when we eat a crispy potato chip yeah but there's not a ton of there's not a ton of actual nutrition in a potato chip right. Co- coffee's different though like there's a lot of there's yeah. a, there are a lot of chemicals in coffee and they're affecting what's going on in us so we're bringing in this huge exogenous amount of, of information and it's, it's affecting that stress response in ways that it's really easy to identify. Yeah. 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 That component of identifying the challenge Mm -hmm. is really, I think really important to, to when people are making change. Right. Crunchy and salty aren't really (laughs) easy to identify the, the, the changes they're making though. How do you get people Right, because crunchy and salty are sweet and chewy, whatever whatever the thing is that we go towards. How do you get people to kind of click in and and make that awareness in the same way that coffee is really easy to be aware of because it actually changes how you're perceiving things? How do you get people to to connect to that with more subtle versions? So such a good question. Such a good question. So first I wanna say that I mean this is kind of a side point that yeah, coffee is loaded with lots of different things. I mean, very, very high antioxidants. I believe it's very high in magnesium, lots of really great minerals. But at the same time, you know, there's caffeine and then there's other there's other things in there that are compromised. Cowahol, there's lots of crazy things in coffee. <laughs> yeah, lots of things, right? So I think that people have this, at least in America, we have this very reductionistic view of nutrition where it's like, 
something's either good or it's bad, right? Yeah. And and there's no like, you know, question of quantity, right? So people, protein is a great example. So protein is good for you. Therefore, I need to slam more and more and more protein. But the problem is that, you know, it, actually after a certain point, that ages you faster, Kidney right? taxation, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think paying attention to actually, you know, educating yourself on different foods and looking at the pros and the cons, because there's, that's in, in every food, everything. right? There's going to be pros and cons and everything. So, you know, optimizing your diet for um, what your particular needs are and what your imbalances are. I think that's important. So back to your question of, you know, what, how, like, how do you get people to pay attention to the subtleties of how things make you feel? Um, one thing that I teach people from the start of the course is that they need to pay attention to how they're feeling before, during, and after they eat. So I advocate as much as possible, like eating by yourself and just paying attention to that. Like, don't check your phone, don't watch TV, just pay attention to the food. And it is such a different experience when you're actually conscious of like, this is how it tastes. This is how it feels. This is how I'm feeling emotionally. I feel heavy. And you will actually stop like a lot earlier than you normally do when you're paying attention. And so when you're actually focused on how you're feeling when you're consuming something, like you'll notice those little nuances. Yeah. And the more and more you notice that, oh, this isn't making me feel good, you, sh you just stop. Like you you make a conscious decision at a certain point where enough is enough. And, you know, on, on the point of coffee, I feel like people become diehard fans and they get very addicted to it until they realize, wait, this is like really ruining my stress levels. Like yeah. I feel just agitated all the time. And so one good friend of mine who, you know, used to drink probably three cups of black coffee a day, like he was really, really um, a coffee addict. Uh, you know, I never thought that he was ever going to give up coffee. And he, he said to me, he was like, you know, I, I always want the freedom to be able to drink at least one cup of coffee a day, but I'd like to minimize it. And then one day he was like, you know what, I need to give this up. And so he, it was painful for him. You know, you experience a lot of withdrawal, but he did it. And after three months, he was kind of completely off of coffee. He drinks yeah. tea now, but it's not the high hit of caffeine. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just really being conscious of, of how you feel and paying attention when you're, when you're consuming something like that is that that's necessary to be able to make change in your diet. Oh, yes. So, uh, I, I bet there's some talk about this this in your program, and I think you kind of hit on it without without really diving in. But so much of what we do is just about numbing ourselves, and food becomes a tool for numbing ourselves, right? Yeah. So when you bring awareness to what you're consuming, it it puts a not just the food you're consuming under the microscope, but your life under the microscope. A hundred percent. And you talked you. Briefly, briefly, beginning of this conversation, you brought up intermittent fasting. Yeah. I really, you know, I, there's lots of benefits to intermittent fasting. For me, the most important thing is that experience of hunger or that yeah. experience of desire. It's not even hunger, right? Hunger is like completely different than anything we experience in our life. Oh, we, we experience cravings and desire and we're surrounded by opportunities to solve those cravings and desire. So, yeah. I love, I love having desires that I don't fulfill yeah, because yeah. it's so easy in America in 2019 to fulfill any desire you want. You can get on the computer and you can have anything you want delivered to your home. Exactly. And to not do that is so powerful. 
Exactly. And especially with food, because we are surrounded by food everywhere we go. You know, one thing that they say, I don't know where it said um, in Sanskrit literature, but it talks about, it's said in several places, actually, but it's talked about how there's, there's kind of different flavors of happiness. And um, there's, uh, in the Gita, actually, the Bhagavad Gita, they talk about how, you know, there's, there's the kind of pleasure type happiness where initially it feels so good, and then it becomes poison. Mm -hmm. And then there's um, a second kind of happiness where it's like, initially, it's poison, it's so hard to get through, but then it's just this amazing high mm. once you've right? And then the third kind is basically thumbs, which is just that you are kind of diluted throughout. It's like, kind of like a drug. And it's not really ever like true happiness, but it's numbing, right? Yeah. So that I think it's a difference between the, those first and second types where, you know, we are conditioned to just get the, the fast pleasure. But when you when you hold yourself out and you're like, okay, like I'm going to stay hungry for a few hours, not hung, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, when I, when I don't eat for a few hours and I don't fulfill those, those needs, like it does something to your mind. Like it forces yeah. your mind to change, you know? Yes. Um, I don't know if you've ever done like an extended fast, right? Yes. <laughs> so I did, this was back in, I want to say 2014. And in some, you know, I, I'd like to do this again at some point, but I did an 18 day water fast mm. and it was, you know, what was interesting was that, you know, I had prepared for that, right? Mm. But it was never, it was never physical hunger. People think that it's like, oh, you're going to die if you don't eat, and, you know, mm -hmm. nothing like that. You can go a really, really long time without food and actually mm -hmm. it makes you healthier for, for a period of time. Um, and just pushing through the mental, uh, you know, the, the everything that comes up, like, you know, I want you, you start to crave like the dumbest things like white rice by itself. Mm -hmm. Like I don't remember the last time I ate that, but you'll crave things like that. But you know, just pushing through those cravings and watching yourself stay strong, like you realize what you're actually capable of. And you get to a point in the fast where it's like, you experience total freedom. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no desire, there's no, um, you don't feel like you're drawn to anything. You're just happy and I think that's like true bliss that we're all capable of and so I highly recommend that to anyone just like practice restriction in, in any area that you can you know don't go too hard but like practice it just enough so that you're able to exercise that muscle because when you do your life is going to become like 10 times more beautiful and, and I promise that will happen yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's so true it's so the the power that is available to you when you when you self-restrict is really really hard to appreciate until you felt it yeah yeah and 18 days is impressive i will say that thank you <laughs> <laughs> i've gone 10 and then i just did 30 days of rice and spinach only oh. and that was interesting that was really interesting it was uh <laughs> it's <was> really interesting <laughs> Um, I'm curious about how that, what, what made you choose rice and spinach? So I, what, what made me choose rice and spinach is a, is a very valid question. Um, one, I just knew that they were simple. Mm. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to pull complexity out. Mm. And as far as, um, how my body digests things, Rice and spinach are just super, super simple for my body to work through. Mm -hmm. And I and I knew that and I just wanted to give a break. I just wanted to give a break. And um, 
that's what it that's really what it was i it's, it's a break and i think most people view those types of things as painful and punishing but yeah. there's so much freedom in never like when i wake up i know exactly what i'm going to have for breakfast yeah. When I come home after work, I know exactly what I'm going to have for lunch. And it's really, really simple. I'm going to put some rice in water. I'm going to heat that up. I'm going to boil spinach and then I'm going to throw them together. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved that. Yeah. I loved that. There's a guy, I think it's in Europe somewhere. I think it's Wales, but that's somewhere who went several years without eating, right? He was. He was obese and he came to his doctor. He approached his doctor and just said, hey, I want to do this where I don't eat and I want you to kind of work with me on this. And they agreed to do it. And several years, no food, just burning off the excess tissue that he put on to himself. And, and he, he was he consuming? I'm assuming he had water, right? Just water, yeah. Just so water. Was he supplementing with anything at all? No. I think they, I think they were doing. I think they did do a multivitamin, mm -hmm. um, and I think that's it. But you could. That, I think you, to your point, though, right? You said, "Hey, you can go a really long time without eating." Yeah. Several years without eating, if you have enough tissue on you. Now, now everyone can't do that because everyone doesn't have that amount of tissue to work through. Mm -hmm. But there's real power in that, and all of his blood markers got better. Like you know, fasting is just. Such a remarkable metabolic reason. Yeah. Per everything. Yeah. What, lifestyle choices, right? Fasting's a lifestyle choice. What are some lifestyle choices that people make that are most detrimental to them? Oh my gosh. Well, I would say number one is, give me a second to think about this. I well, feel like it's got to be something that's really, really internal that is mm -hmm. like, it's kind of like the pin that knocks over every other pin. Yeah. You know, I think that it's, living unconsciously right and i think that living consciously has to in a way it has to be a conscious choice that like every day i need to i need to live i need to really fully be alive and so that the the act of not questioning what is it that i truly want you know how do i want to feel people don't ask that and i think that that Gosh. if people really did that then i think that you know they'd find a way to fix everything else that wasn't working okay so I, I, will, I will. Yes. Thank you. Yes. And thank you. Now, this is one of my most favorite conversations as of late. I think that the majority of people that I interact with um, and I hold these conversations with, when I ask them what they want in their life, they mm. say they don't know. Um, and why do you, A, is that an experience that you have? Do you, do you, do you interact with people that say they don't know what they want in their life? And, and B, if that is the case, why do you think that is? I think that, I think that maybe it's, the question is not necessarily framed correctly. Mm. I think that the specifics of what people want, they might not know because you know inherently how you want to feel. Mm. You might not be aware of it and you might have to think about it, but if you really dropped in, you'd know exactly how you want to feel, mm -hmm. right? So you might have to try out different things to find a life that makes you feel that way and find activities that make you feel that way and then purge other things that don't. But you do have a general compass and everybody is just so out of touch with that. And I think that's one thing that actually raw food really helps with is getting back in touch yeah. with yourself. Um, but I think that to answer like, you know, what is it that you want? And then people don't know. Um, I think that you need to start with asking people, well, how do you want to feel? And then you can ask them the question, well, 
when were some times in your life when you felt that way? What sorts of activities make you feel that way? Um, what sorts of activities take you away from it? Um, what are some general, uh, some general things that you want to do in your life? So for instance, contribution, let's say you really, you really want to fight poverty, right? That's a huge category and there's so many things that you can do. So I think that part of it is engineering, right? So you've yeah. got to engineer, um, activities and just, uh, like a, a job or whatever it is, extracurricular activities, if you want, um, to make those things happen. Right. So part of it is, is conscious and willing and you have to work towards it. But then, you know, the, the underlying aspect of like, what do you want out of your life? Like, it's just a question of how do you want to feel on a moment to moment basis? And that's actually a very simple question. And people, the problem is that people are answering it from here as opposed to just here, you know, heart. Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So I love, I love how obviously it comes from your world, but referencing the engineering because it's the plan right so so my opinion of this is slightly different than yours but I think the answer is exactly the same and I think I want to share it just because the answer is the same and we came at it from different places yeah the way I look at it is everyone knows exactly what they want because no one on the planet is more of an expert in knowing what I want than me Mm -hmm. but we're so scared to actually think about the things that we want in detail because the moment we put details around the things that we want, there's a possibility we won't get them. Right. And right. so it's just better to just never think about what we actually want. Because if we, if we think about what we want, then it's like, well, now, now I have that thing. And that thing is sitting there in my mind. It's a conscious reality. Right. And I started this with like relationships, right? Like relationships are so easy. All you have to do, you're in a, you're in a mutual bout of respect so anything that you want you should be able to share Mm -hmm. and if your partner is with if that's within your partner's ability they're going to do they're going to do their best to provide that for you like i truly believe that when people enter relationships they're working really hard to make it to do what's best for the other partner yeah but if you haven't told your partner what you want your Mm -hmm. partner's going to spend a ridiculous amount of resources trying to make you happy and providing something that might not mean anything to you. Yeah. So if you just said, you know, like, Patrick, what I want most in, of anything in life is the world's best apple. Then yeah. I have a really good chance of, of bringing you something that's going to be at least close to that. Yeah. But if you just held out your hand and said, hey, I want you to put the thing that I want in my, in my hand right here. Yeah. I have very little chance of being able to make you happy. That is so true. So becoming brave enough, becoming willing enough to ask clearly for the things you want in your life. Yeah. And it's very possible that you might not get them. Yeah. It's almost for sure you will not get them if you don't ask for them. A hundred percent true. That is the way that you phrase that is so just on point. So accurate. I was having a conversation with someone last weekend about, um, because she's, she's in the process of trying to find a different job that, that she likes. And she's like, well, how do I find something that I like? And I said, first, you need to kind of decide for yourself what it is that, that you want. Right. Um, and I said to her, you know, it's like, it's like, if you, if you're, if you have a bow and arrow, right. And you're trying to hit a target, it's like, yeah, it might be really hard to hit the bullseye and you might kind of like hit a little bit far away from it, farther away from it, but it'll still be relatively close. Whereas, you know, if you're saying like, 
I don't want to hit a bullseye. I don't want this, right? Which is what most people do. Like, I don't want to be in this job yeah. anymore. I don't want this relationship. Then it's like, you're just firing an arrow anywhere, anywhere. else. That might not be. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. It's, I, I really, I really like, I really like how we both came to the exact same answer on that because it tells you, right, from completely different perspectives, but it tells you that there's something to that answer of being able to think from your heart, right? Because thinking from your brain and trying to think logically about things is not (laughs) as, as fun as it might be. It's not always the solution. Yeah, it's not. It's not. And a lot of times you'll find that like your heart actually knows this is like a whole different like you can open up so much with this, but your heart actually knows things before it happens. I, there was a study, um, or there have been a series of studies that were done. I think in some university in Washington, don't quote me on that, but it was, yeah, there, there was a, there were a series of studies that were done and it, basically they took people and they put them in these MRI machines. And so they would show people, um, images, right? So once every few images, it would be a really disturbing image. And then the rest of the images were just like simple things like flowers or a chair or whatever else. Right. So, and these were all kind of generated at random. So they measured these people's heart rates and, um, you know, the people that were actually running the experiments didn't know what images were going to show up. The people obviously in the scanners didn't know what was going to show up, but they measured that, um, actually even before an image showed up, a disturbing image showed up that the person's heart rate would increase. Right. So, and what that, and that was consistent. And so what they found was basically that, um, your, your heart in a way knows what's going to come before it actually comes. Mm. Um, and so there's so much wisdom, um, that comes from your heart that you can just tap into. And I think that, you know, that needs to be an area that, that probably all people should explore. Yeah. Those yeah. untapped human potential, right? There, yes. are, there are just some skills that we just don't quite appreciate that are there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who did you see yourself becoming when you were 16? Oh, my gosh. I always knew that I wanted to do something with high contribution value. Mm. You know, I think that when I was 16, I was still kind of caught up in the whole like, academic competitive culture where it's like everyone's trying to get into the top school and then but it's like very like next step thinking right so it's just like I just need to be better than all these other people so that I can you know get the highest class rank so that I can go to the top university and there's a lot of pressure and and a lot of kids in America and probably everywhere actually um, deal with this. And so they're, they're not really thinking 10 steps ahead. So I guess back to your question, you know, at 16, I think when I just allowed myself to dream, um, you know, I imagined myself being a scientist in some way, but I knew that I, I really wanted to contribute at a very high level to humanity, right? Like I knew that I had wisdom to share and I knew that I, I really loved helping people. But I think because I was such an academic at the time that I saw myself being a scientist. And I, I, I thought that, you know, physics and, and like astronomy, like that sort of thing, like really interested me because there's actually a lot when we talk about, for instance, you know, your heart knowing something before it actually happened, you know, you have that whole, um, topic of space and time and how events occur and and you know like you know in a, in a different reference frame has has an event 
actually happened before yet or not, right? So it just opens up so much. But that whole topic area just fascinated me so much. I think that's what I saw myself. Ah, uh, it's too fascinating. It's yeah. just, it's just, ah, uh, yes. Okay, last couple questions I have for you, and I appreciate your time so much today. I'm just enjoying this so much. Like, I don't want it to end. <laughs> I love that. Yay. <laughs> Influencers in your life. Um, yeah. Do you have mentors? Do you have somebody who, like, really was the person, persons, group of people who, who impacted you? I can't say that there was any one person that's really been, like, you know, everything. Um, but there have definitely been so many people that have been so impactful. So, you know, growing up, um, I went to an ashram basically to study kind of what Isha teaches. So, you know, yoga, meditation, all of that. And that I would say kind of set me on this path of like personal development. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, that place is still there, but it's, it's up in Pennsylvania. So I don't really go to the East coast very much anymore. Um, but that I would say was number one. Um, I definitely had, you know, mentors in, in college, actually my, my research supervisor was really awesome. And he's just like, he's really smart, but he's also very, just the way that he, you know, he's just good with people and he just makes things happen, you know? So he's really been at the frontier of, you know, solar, solar power and, um, just all these other just different technical, uh, technological areas. Right. So he's headed the MIT nano technology initiative and it's, you know, it's this big thing and they've just finished constructing this huge facility. So he's kind of been, um, he's, he was always a role model for me. Um, and then after moving here, you know, I really, really got into personal development a lot. So Mind Valley, um, you know, one person that I think is a very good speaker and a very good writer is Vishen Lakiani, who he wrote a book called The Code of the Extraordinary, Extraordinary Mind. I think that's an awesome book. And it's a great like day to day manual for how to live your life powerfully. Um, so that was definitely big. Um, Tony Robbins, I just I went to his seminar, um, the first one, the UPW, and I found that really, really helpful. Um, and right now, obviously, Sadhguru, right, is super, super impactful in my life. Um, and then I would say, um, Impact Theory, Tom Bilyeu, that's a great show. And then I have, you know, just people in my life that I feel like I've just curated just good people. So um, my good friend Richard has been an inspiration for business. He's been an inspiration for just like, you know, dealing with emotions as they come up. Like he's always just a very good person to share ideas with and, um, you know, coach me through things when I'm struggling with stuff. So, yeah, a lot of people. Oh, that's Somebody asked me the other day what ideal looks like to me. And my answer was being surrounded by people I love and people who love me. And yeah. there's nothing else that's needed. <laughs> if you can build a life where you're surrounded by people you love and, and people who love you, how could you be anything but happy? Yeah, you can't. You, you can't. can't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> So the my last my last couple questions. This is where I this is where I get to have some fun. What's the worst yeah. What's the worst purchase you've ever made? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> this is funny. This is a very interesting question. I need a second to think about this because on some level, like I've bought tons of things that like I've never used. Yeah. You know, but I feel like that's too easy of an answer. <laughs> <I think. laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, so I'm going to answer this in a more abstract way. I, I like think 
we buy into ideas every single day, right? So I think buying, so the worst purchase I ever made was, because it's expensive, right? You you waste your time, you waste your energy, you waste your, your stress and your emotions. Create limitations um, for yourself. Exactly, um, on, on, on beliefs. So I would say that it's the belief that you need to, do something or, you know, you need to show up in the world in a certain way in order for you to be valuable, in order for you to be um, acceptable, right? Wow. How are you so rad, Selenia? That's like the greatest answer to any question that I've ever asked on this show. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is, yeah, way to go. That is, that is so freaking true and impacts every single person. And it's, I, I love that because it's the, like, how brilliant do you have to be to answer that question without looking at spending money? That's just, that's, that's really insightful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, if you could know the, the absolute truth to any question ever, what would it be? Ooh, got to spend this wisely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're, you're, you are now like, you are, we're, I am expecting a lot out of you right now. <laughs> Back to your original point of when you asked me the question about, you know, taking responsibility for certain things and, and you talked about World War II and, and all of that. And so I know that I when I see bad things in the world, um, it just makes my heart ache. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do you I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this, but like something around like how do you achieve true freedom from suffering with the knowledge that you know, the, the entire universe is just, it's always balanced, right? It's all, it always has been, it always will be, but how do you achieve like true freedom from suffering knowing that there are like, there's potent suffering that happens in the world? How do you achieve true inner peace? That's what I would want to know. It seems like, it seems like there's a, there's a deep dive into Shiva that's like waiting for you then. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, okay. Okay, this is my very last question. Okay. Do you have Make any que- Do you have any questions for me? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I have a lot of questions. <laughs> okay, so if I if I can just ask you one that's going to maybe open up a lot. What got you into yoga? Um so this is a story that a lot of people know. But roughly 15 years ago when I moved to Arizona, um I was like a very well-paid douchebag. Um, I was. I didn't see that. Like you. <laughs> yeah, I I was, I was, and I'm glad that you can't see that because it's like it's the universe, right? The universe really does, in a way, give you what you need. Okay. And um, so I was like a six hour a day gym guy. I was like bodybuilder, 195 pounds, like three percent body fat. I was just like. That's insane. It is insane. And I was just very selfish. Um, all I cared about was like what I could do for me. Yeah. And I was living that life really contently. And then one day after I went to the gym, I decided I was going to go for a walk. And I went for a walk and I got about a half mile from my house and my body stopped working. And it took me probably four hours to get back from the half mile to my house back to my house. I got back to my house. I went immediately to lay down. I laid down. And I slept for two days straight. I woke up after two days of sleeping 
Didn't know what was going on. I felt like I had slept for maybe 10 seconds. And then for the next two years, that was my experience. I couldn't get out of bed. I um, tried every single thing. I went to every single doctor. I had horrible, horrible doctor experiences. I had no answers. I spent I spent about $100,000 on doctors before I gave up on doctors. And then I spent another about $200,000 on alternate therapies uh, over the course of the next 10 years. Um, at the end, I, I found, I, you know, I'd always, because I had been a six-hour-a-day gym guy, I'd always had this, if I just can work out, right? That was the thing that I used to identify myself with. I knew anytime I walked into a room, I was going to be the strongest person. In and that was gone. I couldn't stand any. So I found restorative yoga. And it was like a thing that I could go to that um, I knew wasn't going to be draining every single, and sometimes it did. Sometimes even restorative yoga drained every single thing that I had for that day. But I could go to that, I could do that, and it felt like I was doing something for me. And um, that's how I first got into yoga. So I would go to restorative yoga, and it would just, that was my that was my physical activity because it was the amount of physical activity that my body could handle so when you went through all that initially like were you able to work or did you have to like go on disability or something like that yeah so <laughs> I was really lucky in that um my I was hired by Adidas I didn't work for Adidas but my company was hired by Adidas so what I did is I hired people to do my job um, Got it. and then I just suffered through the like very few things that physically required me to be um so i I, right living in america was it put me in a position where i had i could have that job but it also put me in a position where every single penny that was coming in was being you either pay someone or pay for my medical stuff yeah and um it was (laughs) It was a really, I, I describe it this way as like, I had to get hit by a bus to change direction because there was nothing that was, there was not, no small little subtle knock for me was going to be enough to get me off the path that I was on. So I needed this like, boom, wiped out 10 years of like, your brain doesn't work, your body doesn't work, nothing works to get me onto a path where I can look back and say that was me, but I'm a I'm a different human now. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So when you got into yoga, I'm gonna ask you another yeah. question. When you got into yoga, what was the mental shift that happened or what were some mm-hmm. of the shifts that happened? It took a really long time. So yoga still for me, like for most people, was a form of movement. Okay. Right? Like and I think that's the that's the Americanization of yoga is that we've taken this practice, which was one one hundredth movement and made it a hundred percent. Yeah. So even though I wasn't moving a ton, it was still, it was still moving. But that's also the the magic of yoga is that even people who come to yoga for the exercise so that they can sweat or whatever the reason they're coming to yoga for, there's so much power in yoga that it like seeps in. The yeah. yoga component of yoga, the yoga component of, of yoga-based movement seeps yeah. into people's lives. That's so true. for 
for an hour and a half, an hour to an hour and a half a day when I was in those classes, right? I wasn't worried about anything. It was just like, this is my mat. And how amazing does it feel to be in this twist right now? So I think that's the, that's the, that was the switch. And I didn't, it didn't recognize it. I, I didn't recognize it until the beginning of last year, right? My experience with Satguru was so impactful that it's like just exponentially exploded my understanding of yoga in ways that I just, I got it. <laughs> he's so amazing. I don't know how it's, I don't know how it's possible that he's human. Um, so it was just, I, I recognize now looking back that all of this mental component, this like this mental weight, this constant everything that was bearing down on me was gone for that hour, hour and a half a day. Yeah. But it wasn't like that's why I was going there. And it wasn't like the gears were really kicking in at that point. Yeah. Does that, that make sense? sense? Does it? Yeah. 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 Yoga. It is magic. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I want to ask you so much more about like your experiences after Sadhguru. Because like even just observing you on social media after like after, you know, in the last year or so, I yeah. feel like just the way that you show up is just it's been transformed. Like it's just so much different than I remember it being before, Yeah. which, um, I just feel like there's so much there that I'd love to pick. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Let's do that. Yeah. Let's do it for sure. This just lit up my heart. Like this, I just, I love, I love discussions of this nature and, and you know, they're the best. Whoever watches this really enjoys the video too. They are going to for sure. Without a doubt. Thank you so, so much for being a part of this and for sharing your time, Alina. This is is the best.